Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Welcome to the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. I'm Elizabeth Taylor. And I'm Alex Shapiro. We're estheticians in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and we work with really incredible, diverse, ambitious, and driven people who are killing it in life. They deserve to be celebrated, and on this podcast, we're going to be sharing their stories with you. Yeah, and in between our interview episodes, we'll have Beauty School, where it's just the two of us, maybe some guest stars, and we'll be chatting about beauty, life, weird shit about being in your 30s, and learning more about one another, because that's what makes us more similar than different. Also, we're a lot of fun, and we have a super multicultural community, and we kind of think that you might too. So, why not talk about all things beauty under one black and Jewish roof? Plus, we'll be answering listener questions, so be sure to write us at truebeautybrokenpodcast at gmail.com. All right, guys, let's jump into the show. Oh, hey guys. Hey. It's Elizabeth. And Alex. Welcome to the True Beauty Brooklyn Podcast. Welcome. I'm super excited today. We have a beauty school. We're not by ourselves, though. We've got some great guests. It's another Body Care Chronicles. We're doing today transitioning bodies. We're doing recovering. Covering. Recovering. <laughs> transitioning bodies with Dr. Trina Ebersole and Dr. Jennifer McGregor. So as you guys may or may not remember, Dr. Trina Ebersole has been here before. She a baddie. She is an aesthetic and reconstructive surgery fellow at Harvard Medical School, and she did her residency in plastic and reconstructive surgery at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, and she's been on True Beauty Brooklyn podcast, not to toot her own horn, answering your listener letters in the past. She's really cool and fun. Yes. And does it all. She does it all. She's in Harvard why can't I talk? That was weird. Both what did I just say? These. <laughs> She's in Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> and she has a baby. She's ha- and yes. somehow made time to... Has done us. multiple episodes with us. I know. And she's beautiful. She's a woman of color. She's got a beautiful lion's mane of hair. She had these gorgeous tortoiseshell glasses on. They oh, had a sh- kitten eye. Not that you guys asked, but I'm kind of obsessed with her. A picture. She's just like so smart and beautiful and knowledgeable and kind and generous with her time. So... It's we true. love her. And you guys do too. Her last episode was one of our highest download, downloaded episodes. <gasps> That's true. Yes. So oh we've got Trina answering some of your guys' listener letter questions about, uh, you know, plastic surgery altering in our bodies. And we also have a new guest. And she I'm very excited about because she's at the top of her game in New York Good City. To be top. I think the top of her game, period, but especially here in New York City. So our other guest today is going to be Dr. Jennifer McGregor. And Dr. McGregor is a board-certified dermatologist. She's a member of the World Professional Organization for Transgender Health. She's recognized by the Huffington Post as a top New York City dermatologist to the transgender community. And she currently resides at the prominent dermatology office, Union Derm. 
that's right here in New York. Dr. McGregor, she specializes in dermatologic surgery, injectables, and laser procedures, including skin resurfacing, birthmark treatment, vascular lesions, and she also specializes in novel treatments for body contouring and cellulite. She serves as an expert consultant to skincare, pharmaceutical, and medical device companies, and she's a regular contributor to national beauty media, including Vogue, Cosmo, The Huffington Post, Bustle, Elle, and Good Housekeeping, and now also the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. Damn. Bring them bad bitches. Honestly. There are so many accolades for all of these women. It's insane. Also, I was so excited to talk to a doctor who is within the transgender community because I think it's very important for people from that community to have doctors who can cater to them. A hundred percent. I love talking to Dr. McGregor because I just learned so much about the transgender community. I learned so much about what it takes to be an ally. We're excited to have her on because, as we said before, we really want to just put our money where our mouth is and truly try to make a inclusive community. And an inclusive community means thinking outside of just what you look like or what your homegirl looks like. And it makes you think about people that are within our community, our greater communities, right? And like what questions might they have or where might they be looking for answers that they can't find? And the transgender community is one that once we really started to dig in, we saw that there's so little information specifically catered towards them. And also just seeing that people go to where they're welcome, And people go to where they know they're wanted, especially when it's a marginalized community. And if you don't go out of your way to say, we love you, we're here for you, you're part of our community, you know, people don't necessarily inherently know. And I know how that feels, especially as a black woman, you know, looking to get my hair done, going to, oh, you you know, when people come in, did you go to the salon? Did you go to the salon? It's the newest salon. Okay, but do do they do ethnic hair? (laughs) You know? So one of our goals is to just be more boisterous and boisterous about our intent with being allies to the trans community and bringing content to the trans community directly to them with people who are working within the field. Because we're not experts in everything. So well said. Thanks, girl. So, without further ado, guys, enjoy our episode with two doctors, two hot lady docs for you, Dr. Jennifer McGregor, Dr. Trina Ebersole. They're answering your questions about surgically altering your body. and I am a plastic surgeon. I went to undergrad and medical school in Kansas City at a six-year med program and then I did plastic and reconstructive surgery training at Washington University in St. Louis School of Medicine. A month and a half ago I started my aesthetic surgery fellowship at Beth Israel Deaconess Hospital with Harvard Medical School um, which is a year and after that I'm going to go into practice. So oh my god are you so excited? Yeah and do aesthetic surgery yeah. So this year is great, like fine-tuning everything. So. Also, like after all this time and all this school, yeah. you're like yeah. almost there. So much, so much training, so much school. <laughs> you're like, I'm going to be the best. I've been doing this for 25 yeah. years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I guess, okay, if I'm going to go to a plastic surgeon, that's the plastic surgeon for me is one who's just done the maximum amount of training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to go to a plastic surgeon that's not fully trained. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, hopefully that doesn't exist. 
Yeah. They're out Although, there. who the fuck knows? The Dr. Deaths. All I listen to is like Dr. Deaths. These Death. terrible people who are out there just like hacking people up. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a, a <laughs> it was a really funny thing for you guys to say, but it's the truth. People are out there without certifications. So we bring yeah. only the best onto our show. We bring the Harvard. Like, don't worry. Don't worry. It's not Trina. <laughs> don't worry. So we wanted to have Trina on here today to answer some of your questions. You guys always have great questions relating to plastic surgery. And a lot of these, I feel like, even if you maybe haven't thought specifically about plastic surgery, you may be like, oh, okay, actually, we can fix that. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, and it's like, you know, we're doing body episodes, and we're not experts in the body, Alex and I. So, yeah, I love talking to other people who are experts in the body. But also, we just found out that you have a baby, Miss yeah. Ebersole, Dr. Ebersole. It's not yeah. that it was any of our business to begin with. I saw it on Instagram, <laughs> but I was just like shocked because I was like, how is this woman doing all of this, all of the school, doing the most, coming on the podcast, going to Harvard and like has, has a baby. baby. <laughs> <laughs> and so in that sense, like you have experienced something that Alex and I haven't, which is never sleeping ever. <laughs> <laughs> Motherhood. But looking great. But also like going through pregnancy, going through, yeah. you know, so your body has done things that ours hasn't. And a large amount of our listeners, I'm sure, have also gone through that. And also send us questions regarding changes in the body through pregnancy. So as not only as a doctor, but also just as somebody who has gone through these things that Alex and I haven't gone through, I think it'll be interesting for you to attest to something else. Like just a different type of body, which is what we're kind of trying to showcase this uh, little series that we're doing. Yeah, I think it's important to just... I mean, go to someone that understands, like, you don't have to have done it necessarily. Yeah. Pregnant or anything. But I think it's important to see somebody that understands what you're going through, what your changes have been after having kids and things like that, or just like weight loss and things like that. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, totally. Right. It's not like plastic surgery is clearly not one size fits all. Like every tummy tuck is different. Every breast implant is different, right? You want to feel really confident when you go to someone like, oh, they work on all types of bodies. Yeah. Yeah. And understood and seen. Okay. Maybe we'll I feel like you guys get me. (laughs) You feel like (laughs) soulmates? (laughs) We just like get each other. I think also I didn't think of you as having a baby because even though I know what your age probably is based on all your schooling, you kind of just look like you're 25. Yeah. Not that a 25 year old can't have a baby. But those are uh, those are non-surgical rejuvenation. <laughs> You're like I don't sleep, but I look great because there's shit in my face. Yeah, <laughs> so funny. <laughs> there's shit in my face. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, I always love these questions about boobs, especially because I have saggy boobs. This listener actually asked two questions in one. This is from Angelique. She said, breast lifts, does it help the appearance of sagging or do you also need implants for that? That's the first part of the question. Okay. Yeah. I think this is a great question. Um, I think a lot of people come into the office or when you're doing research, kind of look into this. So a breast lift will kind of elevate your sagging breast tissue and then also elevate your nipple areola complex up. A lot of people just get that, or you can get a breast lift, which is also called a mastopexy with an augmentation. So you can either get a breast lift on its own, or you can get a breast lift with an implant. And the technical terms are mastopexy or mastopexy augmentation. And it's all up to you. If you just get a mastopexy, it'll lift your breast tissue to a certain extent and lift your nipple areola complex up. But what it won't do is give you kind of that upper pull volume that 
an implant will. Mm. Yeah, I need both. Um, get it and look natural. You don't necessarily, like some people want the augmented look, which I think looks beautiful too, depending on what you want. So you can get like a natural kind of upper pole fullness as well. But that's the limiting factor of like, if you want to breast implant or not, that's kind of how you decide if you decide the upper pole is important to you or makes a difference. Or I think last time we talked about it, I think, Mm -hmm. um, but implants aren't lifetime devices. So if you're kind of stressed out about like needing surgery in 10, 15, 20 years and don't want to think about it, then maybe an implant isn't for you. But if you're okay with it, then I think it's reasonable. We do a lot of people that get breast lifts with implants and just breast lifts. I was thinking about that actually for me because my boobs are a little saggier. They're big, but they don't have like the volume at the top. Mm. Yeah. So they kind of just look sad sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> or like, oh, let's say I wear something without a bra. Sometimes it looks like I don't have boobs. Yeah. Because they're just all the boobs. But is that <laughs> but just it's all normal, piled but down? But like a normal boob <laughs> for a 33-year-old with big boobs? Do you know what I mean? Like where, which is first? The boob that sits perfectly in the dress, augmented, or like... The 33-year-old big boob. Where do you know yours go when you lie down? Girl, my boobs, <laughs> as soon as this bra comes off, are touching my belly button. It's insane, and I'm fine with it. <laughs> I'm not fine with it, but I've just accepted it. But do you know what I'm saying? Because I know exactly what you mean, yeah, but it's yeah. kind of just like, which is where, you know, like, which Yeah, is, I don't think it's abnormal. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I also just have a very typical, like, Eastern European Jewish woman body. <laughs> yeah. And if I didn't work out, I'd probably have the body of, like, an old lady, like, an old Eastern European lady. <laughs> like, how? It's just, like, a very specific look where I feel like we're, we're very bottom heavy. Our mm-hmm. asses are usually pretty flat. Our mm. boobs were never perky. Mm. Like, they just like always sagged from the time I was born. <laughs> I love that. And- yeah. They always sagged from the time I was born. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like it is a very typical body shape for my yeah. people. Right, 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 right. And I'm not talking shit on it. It's just funny because yeah. I think of like the older women in my family and I'm like, oh yeah, we already like kind of look the same body so funny. Well, I just think about like, I don't know, boobs are hilarious. I've always had big boobs, so it just has always been a thing. But it's like, I feel like there's more naturally not big boobed women in the world then there are not. But now because we're living in a time where so many people have get boob jobs, yeah. our minds have shifted to what looks natural, quote unquote, or, you know. Yeah. And so that's kind of what the question was that I was asking. It's an interesting yeah. one. It's kind of like yeah. a little bit of a brain fuck. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. Totally. I don't know. That's it. Not that it's good or bad. It's just, you know, curious. Yeah. Yeah. Breast lift curious. Whatever you want, really. <laughs> totally. Um, okay, the second part to our question was, what is this? This is a really good question. What is the scarring like for a breast lift that does not include implants? Yeah, so that's a great question. You use different incisions for different people, and we call it ptosis, which is how much your breast tissue are kind of is sagging, basically. So depending on the amount of like skin laxity versus breast tissue kind of more falling. You can have a couple incisions. Um, Most of them include definitely an incision around the areola and then sometimes a kind of a scar down the midline. And we call it kind of a quote unquote lollipop because (laughs) it's round and down. (laughs) Sometimes that needs to be changed to a anchor scar. So you add the scar underneath your breast fold. Um, just to get out the tissue that's stretched over time. Mm. Um, and a lot of the times, actually, the incision is often the same with 
or without implants. So the implant doesn't change your incision. Okay, so oh, that's cool. interesting. Yeah. Um, I have a question. So is a breast lift, is a big part of it removing a lot of excess skin? Yeah, a lot of it, it's, it's kind of a balance because you're lifting and you kind of reorient the skin and take out some. And at the same time, like even when you do a breast lift with an augmentation, sometimes you actually take out some breast tissue because it's kind of like adding and subtracting in the right places. Right. So sometimes people don't, they're like, why do you take out breast tissue if you're adding an implant? And it's just when you're adding an implant, you're giving upper pole coverage. And sometimes when you're breasts are lower, putting it back up, maybe the bottom, having breast tissue in the kind of bottom area isn't as like aesthetically pleasing. And so the implant adds one thing upper. And then if you take out some tissue lower, it actually looks better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just taking out skin. Yeah. Those are all different scars that it depends kind of when you see your plastic surgeon, and what they recommend. So it's person to person different mm-hmm. um, when you see them, but they're three that most people use. Angelique, these are great questions. This is a really yeah. great question. I have kind of a, a, a kind of random question yeah. in this vein. We were talking to somebody who said that they had a breast reduction. And when she had the breast reduction, they put like a – I'm calling my boobs. <laughs> they put – what did she say? A, a laser net? A laser bra? Oh, a mesh. Is that what it is? I didn't understand what she was saying. I was just like, okay, that sounds really fucking cool and futuristic. But I kind of just wanted to ask you, like, what, like, was it actually like a Tom Cruise in the, like, what was that? Mission Impossible, yes. like, laser? Yeah. <laughs> Some kind of super, you know, futuristic thing? Or is it like a mesh that, you know, like, what is that? <laughs> so. Hundred percent sure. There's a couple of things she could be talking about. So sometimes in breast lifts or breast reductions, people will put some mesh in, and it's basically kind of like internal support. Mm. And it's not necessarily used on everyone, but certain people can definitely get a benefit from it because it provides more support. If your skin is thin and your breast tissue is pretty lax, it can help significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, don't necessarily use it on everyone, but there's definitely cases where you can. I think that's maybe what she was talking about. Okay. That makes more sense. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't imagine a technology in which there's just like floating lasers in somebody's body holding their breasts <laughs> afloat. I would I fucking love that. <laughs> okay. Love Always it. perky. Oh, this next question I thought was cute. Uh, this is from Nika. Nika says, what is best for chubby cheeks that stay with losing weight? At first, I didn't understand it, but I guess she's asking like... You've lost weight, but you're like, my cheeks are still chubby and I don't like them. Yeah, there's a bunch of people or even people that haven't lost weight that are like really skinny that say they have chubby cheeks. and Which I think uh, is great. You just look young forever. Yeah, yeah. you look young too, but some people don't like it. So what you can do, it's called buckle fat excision. And some people do it in the office. Some people you can do it probably just having a little bit of sedation is a little better while people are operating in your mouth but (laughs) you can do either one um and what it does buckle um means cheek and so you kind of cut inside the cheek and you spread and you take out some of that cheek fat tissue Mm -hmm. and um you close it back up and then after it kind of gives you that hollow you know high cheekbone hollowed look yeah Yeah. got some of like the quote-unquote chubby cheeks yeah and holy shit i know yeah so you have dissolvable suit stitches on the inside you're definitely swollen like it doesn't like oh, you, you don't get your final result immediately mm-hmm. on because it's still a surgery but after a few months and definitely after a year it kind of gives you your final 
Ooh. But yeah. Damn. For sure, get some anesthesia. You're right. Do not be wicked. <laughs> do not. Because <Yeah. laughs> I think it'd be maybe a little bit easier under sedation. Yeah. That is pretty fucking cool. And then I guess yeah. it's the same as like other procedures. Like that fat can come back. Yeah. Yeah. Same with liposuction also. Like if your weight is stable, it should stay the same. If you gain weight, your fat cells can get bigger. And if you lose weight, mm. they can go down. And at some point with the face, especially like your whatever's done doesn't change time. So like mm. in 10 years, your face will change and right, right. Like that, get a facelift or whatever. So, so interesting. Yeah. It's like your body just wants to be your body and do the thing like – no, I want to come back as fat in your cheeks. Yeah. <laughs> also, what if, Eventually. I mean, what if you were just so, like, wealthy that you could get in your 20s, like, your cheeks, you know, get the little fat removed in your cheeks, and then, like, in your 40s, be like, well, now I want to do a facelift, so let's just change this face right up. Go get a facelift. Yeah. Then your 50s, whatever else we're going to find out that you're going to tell us about. <laughs> this is so interesting. So interesting. It really is. Um, that was a good question. I bet a lot of people have that question. Mm-hmm. I guess, like, I love when people have chubby cheeks because, like I said... It makes yeah. you look young, but obviously I can understand why they don't like it. Totally. Especially if they did, like, try to lose weight and then they lost it and they're like, the fuck? Yeah. I still have yeah. this chubby face, but my body yeah. is, like, banging. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, this next question I love. This is from Chandler. And Chandler asks, with all of the new body contouring, laser lipo, etc., what's the best for best results and money? Okay, this is going to be... Everyone is going to hate me for my answer. Okay. But it is, I think, more person dependent than like technology dependent. Like the right technology will work for the right person. And so certain body contouring like surgeries are sometimes the best for just skin laxity. Whereas sometimes if you have just like a little bit of extra fat, that's just maybe very subtle, then sometimes I think. Some of the devices might be better, mm. um, then you won't have to undergo surgery. So it's hard to just say what's better for the best money. I think it's more person to person dependent and what your and your budget, right? Yeah, like your budget and like if like I think it's important to like to realize what's with your body type and your goals, what's actually reasonable. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to say over like a podcast what's best totally totally you also don't know who like Chandler what do you look like do yeah you know what's what I mean? going on with your bod <laughs> yeah I, I think too like I imagine like okay let's say you go to get cool sculpting you're probably getting cool sculpting because you just have like a little bit of something you want to like sculpt right yeah whereas if you had like a lot of something you'd probably be getting something more invasive yeah I exactly. assume or, to get best results yes yes or maybe exactly. that's what the answer is is like you should know that Cool sculpting is for a little bit, maybe. Is it? I think so, right? I cool think to get, always to get like results that are, like, noticeable, yeah, I yeah, would yeah. assume. Yeah. yeah, you have to do a couple treatments of cool sculpting, and it's not, I think, like, extensive. Like, I think if you want a lot of contouring to a certain extent, then maybe liposuction. You can have liposuction alone, or you can have it with a surgery, mm. uh, like a excision surgery. So that I, it's hard to say, but certain things are certain are good for certain like parts of the like if you imagine everything on a spectrum right totally what is cool sculpting before we move on from that like just, i have no I, i've heard it's a word that i've heard but i have no yeah, idea what it, it is and that's kind of why i was like but is it for it's just i like, said it as though i know anything I know. about it <laughs> yeah i don't know anything <laughs> you said it with such authority that i was like wait what am i the one that's not reading all the articles what the fuck is cool sculpting <laughs> 
Full sculpting um, is, it's kind of like, it's like freezing the fat cells. So you use the cold temperature to cause apoptosis of the fat cells themselves, and then they um, die. And so that's the goal. So it works to a certain extent, but after that point, and you need like four to six treatments on a, on like a particular area that you want to get done. Mm. Um, commonly people have gotten like their lower abdomen or their thighs or hips or something like that, but it is only, it only works to a certain extent. And so you'd have to talk to your plastic surgeon to see if liposuction is better and actually more worth your money than six sessions of cool sculpting. Um, the other thing to know about cool sculpting, just so everyone knows before they get it, is there is a very low percentage of people that actually get fat hyperplasia after cool sculpting where your fat cells actually grow bigger. Oh, reverse. Which reverse. is first for first. Extremely upsetting when you're going for cool sculpting, but there is a very low percentage of people that get it, and it's just something you have to know about. Can you give an example, and this is going to be difficult, I know, of, of a body type in which somebody might want to get cool sculpting? Like, lipo, I kind of feel like I can imagine who... I can imagine yeah. a range of people who might want to get that, but what would somebody look like who'd be a good candidate, I suppose I should say, for cool sculpting? Yeah, I think cool sculpting and liposuction, to a certain degree, they overlap as well. Okay. But say you don't want surgery and you're just looking for an area of reduction that, you know, isn't too extensive and you can get some skin tightening from cool sculpting, but it's not a lot. And so kind of where your skin is already where you would want it to be, it's kind of mostly a subtle fat reduction. Okay. It's not like a lot of fat reduction that you can pinch, I guess. Okay. All right. That makes sense. That's what I was thinking in my head. Why Why do I associate liposuction with the 90s? Am I just thinking of like those shows that were on TV at the time? I think it was like big. I think it kind of was reality shows where people were getting work. I think things like go in waves. Yeah, like, right. That are popular, but I do think liposuction is pretty popular right now. Right, mm. it's got to be. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay, this is from Alessandra. Alessandra asks, "Does liposuction get rid of cellulite? Are there other non-invasive procedures that get rid of it?" Hmm. This is a great question because um, I think a lot of people come into the office asking this or just not knowing what liposuction can and can't do, and so liposuction can get rid of. Like when you pinch an area and you do liposuction, it makes that area thinner, but still there. Right. And so what it, and it, if you're younger, sometimes it can tighten the skin a little bit, but what it doesn't do is cellulite is more of a superficial, like skin dimpling. Mm. Um, and so it actually doesn't fix that. And the risk of getting liposuction is getting contour irregularities. Oh, um, just so, again, everyone knows. So liposuction doesn't get rid of cellulite. And I think it's important to know. And if you kind of have any skin issues, the liposuction won't actually fix that. Mm -hmm. So, And it doesn't necessarily tighten. And actually, sometimes when you do liposuction, what happens is you take a lot of the fat out. So your skin actually becomes looser. Mm-hmm. That was my next question. Is it's like, I feel like for people to get the liposuction look that they want, which is... yeah to become a model, right? <laughs> you yeah. have to exercise. Like that's removing yeah. the fat isn't creating muscle. Like removing the yeah. fat is getting rid of the fat, but you have to like exercise to get yeah. like the muscle and 
tell me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine, is it the same with cellulite? Like if I can't imagine seeing somebody with muscles and cellulite, but I might be wrong, but I kind of, do they go hand in hand? I think you can ha- actually be pretty muscular and have cellulite yeah. just in like areas. Part of it in a way is genetic and part of it is definitely there's a good amount that if you like are way more and then that area has more cellulite, that's definitely possible. But there's definitely people that come into the office that are really fit and like clearly have worked out every day of their life that just have like some areas of cellulite or mm-hmm. some areas like resistant, not even just like for cellulite, but some area of fat that is just genetic yeah. that regardless of how much they work out, it doesn't go away. Fair. Yeah. I like, imagine like moms, like in your stomach, like after you have kids. Yeah. A lot of times people ask about stretch marks and stuff and a lot of stretch marks during pregnancy actually is genetic. Mm. It's hard, hard to cope with because you work so hard and, or you're like, you know, I'll do it up all the time. Yeah. Not to do, not to have a stretch mark. So there's certain things you can do, but a lot of it is genetic, Mm. which is hard to cope with. (laughs) (laughs) So you can get laser treatments. Yeah. Like post-pregnancy, right? Um, you can get laser treatments to kind of help with the discoloration of stretch right. marks. It definitely helps in certain people and other people they don't have necessarily as good of results as they want. It's mm. it's possible to even it out, but mm. um, stretch marks they look so different on different skin types. Yeah. yeah. Like on darker skin they can look like white, but then on like white skin it looks like silver. And yeah. Shi- yeah. So it must be difficult, like a one side. Can, and what you're saying is it's like Mine more of a skin. color over time, too. Yeah. yeah, me too. They were like and very the, pink when I was younger, and now they're like faded. Yeah. And the other thing is, if you're interested, sorry, this is like a complete turn, sort of. But if you're interested in a tummy tuck or something like that, after having kids and things like that, you just have some skin laxity, um, and you do have stretch marks, you excise a portion of the skin and kind of redrape it redrape the abdominal skin to be smoother contour, but it doesn't get rid of your stretch marks. And I think that's, people are like, oh, I want to get rid of all, but you can't get rid of them because you won't have any. You won't have any skin left, right? Yeah. Just listening to you talk about that, draping the skin, it's like making a dress, but it's your stomach. Oh, man. In my next life, I'm going to come back as a surgeon. It's like so creepy and cool. Oh, man. I'm just going to, I'm not going to be very good at it, though. I don't sew well. Everything looks a little (laughs) Frankenstein ish as it is. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. Next question is from Nicole. Nicole says, I hate my profile. My chin is weak, and I feel like I have a little bit of a turkey neck under my chin. Let's talk about your weak chin, girl. (laughs) (laughs) What would be the best option for me? Sorry, she just played herself. I got a weak chin. I got a weak chin. Very perceptive because most people come, or a lot of people come into the office without like knowing what causes their neck fullness. And so a lot of people, you have to be like, hey, your chin is further back. Or um, the other thing is your hyoid might be more anterior, which is in your neck. And surgically, like as a plastic surgeon, there's nothing I can do about your hyoid. Mm. That's just where it is Mm -hmm. for your chin and to make your chin kind of more out that way your neck looks better um it's hard to know because I haven't seen you but so this is you know you'd have to see someone exactly but on different people sometimes just getting a chin implant or even just some chin filler just knowing a chin filler won't last forever but maybe you can see how it would look like 
on you, that can even do a lot. Or if you do have either of those in conjunction with some liposuction of your neck or kybella or something like that, depending on how much you have, those two or three things together um, can help. Or some people do just have like a genetically kind of further back chin, a weak chin, and then their neck looks bigger, even though they're young and the rest of them is like healthy and stuff. And so sometimes in those people, you can do not young, like in your 20s, but, you know, in your like 40s or 50s, some of those people with the skin tagging get like a neck lift earlier than Mm -hmm. other people with a stronger jawline. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, I imagine that'll just sag even faster probably right yeah and so but like i said there's you don't want a chin implant or if you're okay with trying chin fillers there's different things you can do kind of as person dependent Hmm. yeah start with the fillers and then go from there i loved that i got a weak chin that's so funny (laughs) got a turkey neck lol that's so good she's funny Okay, this last one is from Lydia, and Lydia asks, are all plastic surgery procedures permanent? If not, if I got a tummy tuck, how long until I would need another one? Interesting. This is a great question, and this is something we tell people. So, specifically to a tummy tuck, the goal is to not need another one ever. So, you would have and, and be done. And the thing is, though... Our goal as plastic surgeons is to have the best result, like for you to be happy and us to be happy forever. And so what we like, our goal is to basically do a tummy tuck when your weight is at your stable, at your goal weight and stable for six to six months to a year. And the reason is if you gain weight after doing a tummy tuck, then your weight will kind of hang off and you'll have done a tummy tuck for no reason. Mm-hmm. And so ideally, if you got a tummy tuck and you were at your goal weight and your weight had been stable for a certain amount of time, then uh, like six to 12 months and it stayed the same, like, you know, throughout life, then you wouldn't need another tummy tuck. Mm. that's kind of cool that's awesome for some reason i just assumed you'd need another one yeah that being said if we switch gears to like a facelift Mm. so say you do a facelift in your 40s or 50s and you're super healthy and live until like your 70s or 80s we say a facelift or this is also relevant for breast surgery as well um it reverses time for a breast lift or a facelift or something like that it doesn't stop time. And so for a breast lift, like in 10 or 15 years or a facelift in like 15 years, 10 years, 20 years, like it'll continue to age. You just turn back time. So Mm -hmm. in a certain number of years, you may want another facelift or breast lift or something like that. Mm -hmm. So in a way, tummy tuck is slightly different than breast and face stuff. Two facelifts in a lifetime. That sounds like a lot. You can't fully fight gravity. I know, but that sounds like, it sounds like a... My grandma got a facelift in her 50s, and now she's in her late 90s, and it's like, yeah, you would never know. She looks great, but it's like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She she doesn't doesn't look look facelifted anymore. Right, right, yeah. And, like, obviously, makes sense, but, yeah, fuck, do that twice? What happens? What what do you do when you do a facelift? Um, So, it it sort of depends on the person, but the one thing that is common is your incision is around your like not around, but kind of right in front of your ears and behind your ears and just slightly into the hairline. So it's not noticeable by people. Uh-huh. And then 
um, you kind of dissect under and most people get like a facelift and a neck lift at the same time. But you can just do one if something's like more noticeable on you than somebody else or if you're like high enough. Uh-huh jawline or something like that and then what you do there's a layer called the smas and there's different ways to do facelifts but probably um i think the safest way is doing a smas application or you take that uh, muscle and you plicate it or you kind of suture it onto itself mm-hmm. onto itself further up and then that's underneath the skin and then because you did that when the skin redrapes your skin kind of redrapes higher and so the part that's excess by your ears, you just cut out and then you Dude, it. That is so, I was just like getting the creepy crawlies listening to you talk about that. And like, it's yeah. creepy now, but in 20 years when I fucking need a facelift. No, no, like, it's, re- no, it's cool. It's creepy crawly because it's like, all right, before we're talking about draping the abdomen, it's one thing, but like working on somebody's <laughs> fucking face, girl, if cutting off their up. fucking face and pulling that shit. Oh my God. That's so cool. Go that's what you do good, every guys. day. Dude, that is so nutty that that's what your job is. Like, it's awesome. It's so cool. <laughs> it's so cool. Oh man, so insane! Yeah, it's really insane. Love it. Did you it. get a facelift? A facelift? I don't know. I like my face as it is. <laughs> I don't have any. Trina, I'll be coming to you later in life for a few lifts. I think I'll get a facelift in like thirty years. Yeah, okay. I don't know. I'm trying to think of like what I'm gonna look like older. My grandparents passed when I was younger, but like my parents look pretty good. They do look very good. <sighs> you know, they don't look saggy. They don't look sag. They have maybe maybe a little neck job. <laughs> That's possible, you know? Yeah. I look old as fuck, but my neck is toyed. (laughs) (laughs) The neck looks sick. Hey, beauty baddies. I've said it before many times on the show, I'm a very sweaty gal and I'm really sensitive. And so when it comes to finding a deodorant, I have to search for products that are both aluminum free, they're baking soda free, and you know, they're not going to irritate my underarms, but also I'm not going to stink. And that's why I love Lumi because Lumi was created by an OBGYN Dr. Shannon Klingman met thousands of women who was concerned with odor below the belt. And so through clinical testing, she discovered it wasn't actually the vagina to blame, but bacteria on the skin. So she created Lumi, which is a pH-optimized aluminum-free deodorant that actually works and works everywhere with over 150,000 five-star reviews to prove it. So what I love about Lumi is, like I just said, it's aluminum-free, it's baking soda-free, and it actually helps to keep me odor-free all day. It's a whole-body deodorant, which is the first of its kind, and it's seriously safe to use anywhere on your body. You can use it on your underarms and your under boobs. You can use it on your thigh folds, your butt crack. You can use it wherever, even on your feet, guys. I love that it's clinically proven to block odor all day and control odor for up to 72 hours. And how does it do it? With mandelic acid. Y'all know that I'm here for alpha hydroxy acid deodorants. I'm here for alpha hydroxy acids, period. So I love this product. 
The best part, we're always talking about pH on the skin. It's pH balance, which makes it safe to use everywhere. So you guys can get Lumi Starter Pack, which is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick of deodorant, a cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash and deodorant wipes, which I absolutely love these deodorant wipes. They're awesome for on the go. You can just use them for your underarms, anywhere that you need to touch up throughout the day. And you also get free shipping with the Lumi Starter Pack. And because y'all know I love you, as a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi Starter Pack with code TRUEBEAUTY at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off of your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use code TRUEBEAUTY. That's L-U-M-E deodorant.com with code uh, TRUEBEAUTY to save $5 off. You could tell someone like really did take care of the skin on their face, but the amount of sun damage from like the neck yes, down. Like you ever true. see older women, yes. especially in Manhattan, yeah. who yes. are like fancy. And yes, like, oh, and then you look at their neck so and their hands. Hell and nice. Then you're like, everything else is so different. It's true. The opposite of Jane Fonda. Jan- Jane Fonda. <gasps> look, who does you, her work? Right. Oh, yeah, I don't know who her plastic surgeon is. She has a great plastic surgeon. It's kind yes. of crazy because she doesn't even look like someone who has had work done. She just looks yeah. really good. But because we know her age, yes. we're like, obviously she's had yes. work done. But too, I was watching that Dolly Parton interview um, thingy documentary. And Dolly the whole time has like these really awesome gloves that like go from her hands all the way up and at first I was just like oh that's cool because she's Dolly and then I realized no she's a musician her hands are probably so fucked up but she's Dolly and you can't see that so she has these specialty gloves made and then I saw Jane Fonda's hands and neck and like that contrast these two badass bitches and just the two different ways that because of their profession they were able to do these you know do or yeah. not do these things was kind of shocking yeah. in a great way yeah, PSA, if you put A, you should put on sunscreen on your face every day. So yes, yes. Our listeners know. And add it to your neck. Yes. 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 Taking care of your neck. Yes. It's so important. It's true. Um, wait, I was going to say something else. Oh, like, I don't even know if this is like a question you could answer, but when you see women who have definitely had like fillers and a facelift and they have that strange look. Like, they don't look like Jane Fonda, you know? <laughs> like, they kind of have that weird look to them. What kind of what, look? What went wrong? What went wrong? <laughs> I know that sounds mean, but I, I, I really but mean it. I get what you're saying. It's like like the done look or whatever. Very yes. tight and uncomfortable looking, and they kind of all look the same. Yes. It's very yeah. strange. Yeah. So I think there is – so there's a – like, it kind of depends on the person. Some people have too much filler these days because I think mm-hmm. – like, people think filler will cure everything, and I think it's – I love filler, but I think it's good in right amount in the right places, yeah. which is honestly very little mm. amount um, mm. that people don't realize, and you don't necessarily need everything, like, every three months. Mm. So I think that's important. And the other thing is for, like, a facelift or neck lift or brow lift or, like, eyelid. You can do blepharoplasties on your upper or lower eyelids that – are kind of for tightening of those areas and just getting rid of the excess skin and puffiness. Any of those things you can overdo, if that makes sense. Of course. And so 
when you're doing a facelift or a neck lift or eyelid stuff or brow lift or anything like that, it's kind of the balance of being natural without taking out too much and like having that like windswept look. Mm-hmm. Windswept. Yes. yes. That's exactly what it is. They're all good. Everybody looks like they've gotten off their yachts. Yeah. So it's like from a hundred years of being on the yacht in the water and the sun. <laughs> a little excess taking out. So it's like a fine balance. Yeah. Interesting. So interesting. And two is, I mean, I know we keep talking about this and it's partially because we know that you've done so much schooling, but these are things that I think about that it's like, so for a profession like Alex or I, I mean, like anything in life, right? It's like repetition, right? You you got to do it so much to get good at it and pattern recognition and all these things to become very, very good at whatever it is that you want to do. And yeah. so if you cut somebody's hair a little bit funny and you're like, ooh, that didn't work out that time, it's kind of fine, Right. If yeah. you kind of maybe took one hair off somebody's eyebrows and you're just like, oh, that arch is a little bit too high. Next time she comes in, we're not going to do that. It's going to be fine. You have no room for that in your yeah. profession. My point is this. You need to go to a doctor that has done this so many times that they can look at your face and see exactly the amount that needs to come out, period. Yeah. Or like exactly what needs to be done. Do you know? Like this isn't yeah. like no a... No pressure. No pressure. Well, she knows. She's at Harvard, girl. She's yeah. on year 18. She knows. <laughs> It's like totally, and I think we talked about this last time too. I think it's important to go to a board certified plastic surgeon because yeah. I think people out there that aren't board certified that like say they're just plastic surgeons and like how would any regular person know? But mm-hmm. right, I forgot about that. Yes, to know that there's a lot of charlatans out there. A lot of charlatans. Oh my God, people. A lot of yeah, board yeah. certified only. Yeah, especially yeah. if it's your face. I mean, if it's anything. If it's God. anything. If it's anything. Just, dude, when listening to you talking about doing that facelift, I was just thinking, thank God this girl went to all that medical school. Because aside from doing what you have to do aesthetically, you need to keep that patient alive. You need to make yeah. sure that there's no bacteria, no blood loss, that this connects to. That, that's just so, so much aside from, like, aesthetics that go yeah. into, like, what you do. That, like, yes, board certified. Board certified, yeah. please. please. No doctor deaths. Yeah, yes. so dude, so insane. You're like a goddess. So cool. You're the best. Yes. Those were great questions with amazing answers. Yes. Yeah, really, really awesome. Thank you so much for coming back on and chatting with us. Yeah, no, thank you guys. I these were really great questions. Yeah, right? Right? I know people want to know. <laughs> Jennifer McGregor. I'm a board certified dermatologist practicing here in New York City. And I specialize in procedures in dermatology. So lasers, injectables, devices, you name it, I am your person. I love it. (laughs) So we're so excited to have you on today because aside from lasers and all the fun things that you specialize in, you also specialize working with trans skin and working with trans people in Helping people to find, I guess, their true bodies besides just the facial features. Would you agree? Yeah. And and what you said about gender affirming procedures is certainly true. But one of the things that I'm realizing we're treating more and more people is that people don't fit neatly into boxes. And a lot of us have kind of a mixed gender presentation, right? Yeah. And it might not fit. You know, someone might identify as a cisgender male, but prefer to wear dresses and they might have been born with wide open eyes and really nice eyebrow arches and more heart-shaped face and that's okay so Mm -hmm. 
it's not just trans people, but the way I view it now, the more I do this is just all people and that it should be a more gender fluid discussion. Yeah. Somebody really wishes to be more traditionally masculine looking or traditionally feminine looking because that's the way they feel more comfortable, then we can certainly work in that direction. Mm-hmm. But it's been something that I've been thinking about lately, especially is that we should just be using more gender fluid language and not necessarily assigning gender terms to the way people look or feel and just just kind of working with the way they want to look. Yeah, I love Aww, that. I really love that. Yeah. No, it does make sense because it's giving people the option to not have to answer a question that, like, who who the fuck knows? Like, who knows who any of us are, really, right? Because we're always learning and growing and changing as people. And so to ask somebody to identify as one or the other when we're all just trying to figure out how to get through is kind of asking a lot. So I love that. It's just more so just like, what do you want to look like? How can I help you achieve how you feel comfortable and beautiful? Right. Not necessarily like, oh, you're coming to me because you want to look like a woman. You're coming to me because you're like, I always felt like this is what I was supposed to look like, whatever that is. Yeah. And some people do. Some people feel very different than the way they look. Mm -hmm. And so those are the people that have the biggest struggle because they may feel like, a girly girl and they may have been born into a body that's very traditionally masculine or has more masculine features so the world views them different from how they see themselves so those are the people that have the biggest struggle um, both internally and with their aesthetic presentations so they may come in saying very specifically Mm. I want to look more feminine and I just anything you can do to make me look more feminine or more like a woman I'm in Mm -hmm. and that's fine if, if the person invites that language but you know, lately we've just been trying to, to keep it a little bit more open in our language, a little bit more neutral, and then, you know, kind of work with the patient no matter how they identify or want to present. Right. Uh, is, is the way I see the future going, basically. Yes. I love <laughs> I that. think you're right, for yes. sure. Will you tell us a little bit about your background? Like, what made you want to work in medicine? I think I couldn't get away from the science part. My parents are both scientists, and I kind of grew up with the lingo and the discussions swirling around the house. So certainly drawn to the academics of it, the science, the basic science research. Um, But then certainly my passion was more the individual impact you can make and the helping people. So the wellness, the self-care, just the the combination was really my passion um, where science and, and tech and medicine meets like the wellness and helping aspect where you can really make an individual impact on people and their families. So that that's how I got into medicine in the first place. And I've always been really fascinated by like the futuristic tech of it all, like the, the evolution. And that's where like the lasers and the gadgets and the devices are really exciting. Like the procedures, they change so fast and the way we combine things are really based in basic science, but we can sort of bring them to the table and use them to help people every day. So I love that application of it. Um, I certainly think there's an art to the beauty aspect of it Mm -hmm. as well. And so dermatology is one of those unique fields where you can kind of combine all of those things. That's That's so true. I never thought of it like that. Yeah. And individual helping, which at least for me, I, I find, you know, if I can make one person happy or feel better in the day, then I 
I feel like you've done done something great. Totally, especially in a world where you know we're all just trying to make it through. That means a lot when you can look in the mirror and feel and love what you see reflected back. Honestly, not even just like, but love. It makes a big mm. difference. It's true. Yeah, it's awesome. You get to give that to people and help them on that journey for sure of self acceptance and self love and all of that. Totally. Yeah. Um, More important in the pandemic, especially as people stare into screens all day now and pick themselves apart. And mm-hmm. I think that people really felt the psychological impact of that a lot more. Yeah. Have you been... Sure. Okay, this is kind of veering off the topic that I want to go on to, but because you brought it up, I'm very curious into how people are how people are speaking to you regarding their faces in the digital space. Like, are people coming to you asking you to do things to make them in the physical look more like they look on the screen, looking more like they have filters and things of that nature, like things that you can actually alter that isn't real, but they want to look like that in real life. Have you seen a lot of that? Absolutely. That's been a a hot topic lately is that people want to look like their filtered avatar in real life. And, you know, there's a lot of airbrushing and filtering on social media and in marketing and on screens even like you can alter yourself so and your photos right yeah so surprised that people aren't happy with that they really want to look like that in real life and so we've had a lot of requests and a lot of discussion surrounding that yeah so interesting oh I want to say real fast I a long time ago had a client for a long time several years who was trans um they had transitioned from male to female and I kind of I did their eyebrows through that whole transition and they were going to a dermatologist I mean number one because of transitioning and their skin was freaking out but number two to get laser hair removal on their face and I just remember like the transformation and how much better this person felt like I could feel it and I could Mm -hmm. see it and just like the way that they talked about their life was they were so happy I hear from both cis patients and trans patients and everything in between is just not that they want to look like someone else, but the more typical thing I hear all day is I want to look more like myself. And lately I've just been clenching my teeth and like my jaw is getting really square, or I feel like I just look so tired and drawn from like the effect of the stress of the pandemic or the fact that I'm now in my mid forties and like, you know, my face shape is changing and everything's down here and it used to be up here. Mm-hmm. So people just feel like they want to look more like themselves. Like yeah. they look how they feel and they say, that's not me, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that one of the biggest compliments or success as I hear is like when people are done with their treatment, they say, Oh, I just look a little bit more like myself. Yes. You know, I, I feel more like I always looked or I used to look. Yes. And so that's the typical. And I think that leads into the trans struggle, which is they want to feel like themselves. And if you don't feel like yourself and is aligned with your presentation to the world, the way you look or the body you're born into, it's the biggest struggle of all. Mm-hmm. So that has been, um, it's been surprising to me. I, I learned a lot from my patients just about, how many issues and and judgments and hurdles people face Mm -hmm. uh, going through transitions, especially when there's a wide gap between how they look and how they perceive themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can't believe it. And and I I, I do think it took a lot of individual stories for me to realize the scope of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. And you, you know, help them, you know, they're going through a lot, but maybe this is like the one thing 
during that moment in their life that they can control. So it has to be really nice that they can come to you and be, and at least with whatever you can do for them, they're like, okay, I got this part. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, several people spelled it out for me. You know, they, they came out to me. Um, one person stands out. I had been treating this person for years as a woman and they came out to me as a trans man and were transitioning and were terrified to tell me, even though I had this great you know, relationship and, and told me that every single interaction in medicine, including the people they were seeing to do surgical procedures, were mean, were dismissive, mm. uh, they judged, they felt like they weren't allowed to show them things like dry skin eczema and folliculitis, which is like inflamed hair follicles on the chest from top surgery because they would get dismissed or yelled at or berated somehow or Mm -hmm. judged. Um, It was just like a simple cream to prescribe to make it go away. But Mm -hmm. the hurdle that person had to face just to, you know, show it and ask about what could be done Mm -hmm. was so great. And that really shocked me. And, And I asked more questions. Why I think it is that people don't seek medical care or don't have good medical experiences and it's it's just that it's if you have a few horrifying experiences you're really not even willing to put yourself out there again unless you have a provider that's clearly invested in you know being a friendly environment meaning they've reached out to the trans community they maybe they've shown some before and afters, or they have a landing page on their website, or they have a symbol even um, that shows that their staff and the doctors are going to be respectful and friendly and truly, you know, you know, help you mm-hmm. um, in a friendly atmosphere. I think that's that's what people really need in order to feel comfortable. And if providers don't do that, I think then people are afraid because they don't know and they can't risk it because mm-hmm. the psychological is too great of having one more negative experience so um, yeah I think that's that's really important thing that providers can do to make people feel more comfortable and it it made me realize oh wow I really haven't done this I need to show more before and afters of people of my trans patients or you know write more about it or we need to add something to our website so that people know when they come here they're going to be treated properly and our staff knows how to speak to them and I I think that just alleviates a lot of fear in coming through the door Mm -hmm. so been a really eye-opening for me to hear that from my patients that I really needed to do that and I needed to reach out I needed to talk more about it and you know as a patient or as a person you need to be able to relate to what you're hearing or seeing from a a beauty company in marketing um, when you're going to an aesthetic provider or you see these images, you know, if I'm a 65-year-old African-American woman, I can't look at pictures of a 20-something-year-old Caucasian yeah. boy and or young man and extrapolate the results, what they're going to look like on me, you know? Totally. Like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So I, th- I think that's huge. I think that's what people in industry and marketing um, can and physicians who provide aesthetic care can do to really help people understand what their options are Mm -hmm. I'm always struggling to do a better job with that because I think that a lot of people of course are hesitant they don't want to share their images um, 
but I do think, you know, getting some at least out there is super helpful. And then another handful of people that are willing to share with patients in the office is also super helpful. When people come in, they can see, you know, five other trans women that had their masseter injected, what it looked like for them, then they can say, okay, I, now I kind of get it, what it's going to look like on me. Yes. Um, but it's hard for them if it's someone that's so different. Yes. That they imagine what it's, what kind of impact it might have for totally. them. Totally. And also just going back to what you were saying before of just feeling included and wanted, you know, if some, if you're looking as somebody who, like I grew up in an area where we were the only black family and like just getting my hair done, like going into salons and being like, do you even yeah. do black hair? Do you know? Like and not seeing a single picture. So I knew the answer, but still kind of, you still need to get your hair done. And then sometimes you you're know, like, oh, well you do hair. Because you do hair, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you need to find someone. Yeah, yeah. So just having somebody say like, I'm here for your community. Here are pictures of other people who look like you. Like it, it's huge. It makes such an impression for sure and just saying like oh here's somebody who is welcoming me into their home in your case the, the the doctor's office also our staff you know having the front desk person say okay we need a photo id just so you know it's private having your medical form contain preferred pronouns sex assigned at birth uh you know that's all i need really in a medical and surgical history it, to take good care of of someone, I, I need to know what their gender identity is, their pronouns, and what sex they were assigned at birth, and then just a general medical history, and I need my staff to know how to speak to people, how to reassure people. We need photos, but they're not going to be shown without your consent. You know, We need an ID, but it's not going anywhere other than your medical record without your consent. And just those little things really put people at ease, because now I have in front of me what a person's preferred pronouns are. and. I won't misgender them when I go into the room and mm. empowering our staff to say, okay, if you aren't sure, this is what you should say to someone. And it's amazing how, how those little things really make all the difference. I bet. Um, yeah. But you do need to do them. Uh, yeah. That is for my patients. Otherwise they're not going to take the risk in coming to see you. For something that we saw when we start when Alex and I began to research for this episode was there's such little like the the few sort of guides that I found where it says like here's where you can go to get X Y and Z, they were so limited. The resources that were there like th we didn't even find where, where was that on the Trevor Project. I found a guide that was I think through Mount Sinai of like here's all these places you can go to get like electrolysis and to exercise and for what have you. And there wasn't even a place you can go and get a facial on there, which I thought like this is New York City. That's insane. But also. Yeah, if nobody's out there saying, like, yes, come here, we're welcoming to you, we understand you, we understand your skin, we want to help you, like, yeah, there's, mm -hmm. it's going to look like zero. So, Oh, my God, this makes me think that client I had who was transitioning into being male, they trusted me. Yeah. Because I was just a referral from a friend of theirs. Yes. And honestly, it was a learning it was a learning curve for me and for them. Like they were trying to learn about their skin. I had never worked on someone who was transitioning and their skin was freaking out. And we figured it out together and I mm -hmm. learned so much. But like, oh my God, it really means a lot to me that they trusted me. Well, <laughs> yeah, you have to. I mean, like any any wellness, medical, medicine, whatever, you have to, you've got to trust your provider. Yeah. You have to. Right? I, I wouldn't have learned all these things if it wasn't for my patients and for my patient taking the time to say, 
look, nobody's going to come see you from the trans community because community because they're terrified and you need to put more out there if you want to be a friendly space for people. I trusted you. I knew you. I'm really thankful because it's the only positive medical experience I've had. And mm. I went, I said, are wow. you serious? The only. You haven't had any other positive medical experiences. And the answer was sadly no. So um, another super easy thing you can do is just put a flag, you know, put some flags, uh, symbols, like, you know, friendly space. A lot of restaurants do this. Mm-hmm. I think that our industry partners in, you know, beauty are so much better because in, in beauty and fashion and film and entertainment, they're worlds ahead of us with um, gender and being more fluid and, you know, several brands having 40 plus shades for all right. under then I think it's excellent and I think that we just need to sort of catch up and let people know that we're here for them um, and there are a number of ways to do that yeah so I'm curious did you always this is something I'm very interested in because I kind of just looked at this at first as oh well it's just you know transitioning skin it's kind of just like you know hormonal skin but then I realized like girl you don't know anything you're making a massive judgment about a whole, an entire group based on nothing because you don't know anything. So in transitioning skin, is there a huge difference between hormonal transitions, like naturally transitioning uh, into adolescence and transitioning genders? Is there a difference between like the types of hormones, I guess, and like what to expect from your skin and treating it? Can you treat them the same or are there like major differences that people should be aware of? There are differences. I mean, some of it is based on how hormones affect the body and affect the skin, which we know a lot about regardless of whether a person's transitioning or not but we're also using a lot of the data from studies and how the skin treatments work that weren't done in transitioning patients so if i have a trans woman for example who has a new type of hormonal acne and is transitioning let's say you know she's six months in to her hormonal therapy and I go to use something that was studied in, trans, uh, in cis women for hormonal acne, I'm making a leap. We, I mean, there's a lot we don't know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I know that might work for that person, but it might not. Mm-hmm. And um, there is a lot of gray area because we're using what we know about how hormones affect skin, but a lot of the studies weren't done in exactly this patient population. Mm-hmm. So I a study that was done in cis women, let's just use... Dapsone or Axone, which is a topical acne medication. It does, it's an anti-inflammatory. It works a little for all types of acne and maybe a little bit for hormonal acne even. It wasn't studied in trans women, mm-hmm. so we can try it. It might work as part of a treatment protocol, um, but there is a lot we don't know because of that. Mm-hmm. And is you know it's a marginalized population, still considered a vulnerable population, so it's unlikely that there will be a lot of studies or high quality studies in this patient population, at least probably for a while. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot we don't know, but we do know how to treat skin and we know how hormones affect the skin. Right. So I think that the biggest hurdle is just getting the expert advice and finding a friendly provider. Totally. Because if you get expert advice, you're going to have much better chance of um, finding something efficacious. And it doesn't need to be fancy or expensive. There are so many great options in the drugstore. I talk about this all the time. I think certain ingredients are worth splurging on, but you can find amazing, effective skincare in the drugstore. 
you know, you can order it to your house on Amazon, however you prefer to shop virtual, in person. Um, And I think just getting the advice on what will be best for what you're battling. And like the story I told with just, you know, mild eczema and, you know, mild folliculitis was just a prescription and cleared up right away. But to that person, it was just getting worse and worse and worse. And they weren't getting care and weren't getting expert advice. Mm -hmm. And it was just a simple skin condition that we could clear up in a couple of weeks. I wanted to touch on this before when you were saying that your patient had never had a positive medical experience before you. Think of how many doctors that person has gone to, to just to transition. How many experiences in New York City like that they have gone through having terrible experiences before they found you? you I'm sure imagine being in other cities. Hundreds. Yeah. So that's so much. And so to, to bring that back around to kind of what you're saying is, yeah, kind of like anything else. You know, people reach out to us and they say, my skin is doing this and this and this. I use this and this and this. And you can only give so much generalized advice without actually seeing that person and saying, well, what are you eating? What are you doing? All of these other factors that we know that go into different conditions. And so just doubling down on what you're saying of like finding it's so important to find somebody that is going to hold your hand and walk you through this. What did Chelsea say? One of our friends said, you don't want to be digging a hole and your therapist is standing up at the top of the hole like, hey, dude, are you doing all right? Like, you need some help? She's like, you want your therapist next to you. Like, how the fuck are we going to get out of this? Let's do it. And it sounds very similar to what you're talking about. Like, you want somebody standing there holding your hand. Like, I'm not 100% sure, but we're going to figure it out. Yeah, I think that was a big assumption I made. Just like you were saying, the person trusted you, even though you hadn't really specifically reached out to the community. I mean, I had a few people who trusted me, and it wasn't until I really got to know them and their story that I realized, oh, wow, I need to do a much better job here really delving into some of these issues because they're really unique and they're really significant. And I think that people who do simple things like, you know, skincare, facials, estheticians, dermatologists, and we're in a really unique position to help because we don't have to put people through a lot of this psychological vetting that they'll need to go through to receive hormonal medication or surgical procedures. I mean, we can just help them right then and there. We can give them an effective skincare regimen, which is transformative. We can, you know, remove hair, which is Mm life-changing, texture of the skin. I mean, if you have a full beard and you don't want it and it's even much more sparse and easy to deal with, it it is completely life-changing. And and those things, I don't really need to do any vetting or red tape for any of those people. They just come in, they say, I want, I don't, I wish I didn't have this. And I say, great, let's get started. Yes. And it's that easy. So, you know, as long as the provider is safe and well-trained, I do think we're in a unique position to really help people without all the hoops and red tape that can be really frustrating for people to have to like delay treatment and wait and take tests and go through psych evaluations and all the other things they have to do to get surgery mm-hmm. or even medication like psych treatments or hormonal medications. It's it's a real hassle. And it's expensive. If you're a minor, you know, it's really, it's really hard. So um, I wanted to, maybe we can swing into some questions. Let's do it. One of the reasons I think that it's going to be really exciting to talk to you is because you specialize in like all of the gadgets and we're all interested in all of the gadgets, right? And oftentimes people will say like, oh, why don't you guys do laser? And I'm like, a good laser costs $100,000. I'm not the person to be doing laser at all, but you are. So I'm excited to talk to you about just like the different ways that, you know, these things can help to treat skin. So 
regarding people of color, we have two questions. This is a great question from Vanessa, who's a listener. She says, I'm Mexican and have terrible eczema. The last flare-up was bad, and I now have an area that's going to keloid scar. I don't know if she just has predicted that it's going to be a keloid, (laughs) or she just knows her skin. How can I prevent or reduce swelling and permanent discoloration? Thank you, lovely ladies, Vanessa. So when I was looking at these questions, I realized that a lot of these were kind of similar. Like there was another question from a trans activist who also is a woman of color who gets keloid scars from acne as well. And so I wasn't sure if they go hand in hand, if not, but you're the person to ask. So yeah. cool. this is from Nova. I was always into skincare growing up. When you go from male to female, your body goes through a lot of changes, both physically and chemically. In my case, the influx of estrogen caused some hormonal acne, which was devastating. Being African-American, my skin is more prone to keloids and scarring. At that point, I knew I had to find a new routine that worked for me. I wish I could find more brands that cater to the trans community in general and are aware of how challenging it is for us to find the right skincare to balance skin that's in transition. I would love to see them actually do specific, targeted research to help find better skincare solutions for women like me. So, would love to hear your thoughts <laughs> on some treatment options, um, if you have any, for these ladies. So, there's two issues. The one is keloids, mm-hmm. which are their own special type of scarring. And the hallmark is they get more and more, more scar tissue, even though the trauma is not persisting. So, the injury causes a scar that continues to grow and grow and grow. You can get really large disfiguring nodules, bumps, like, you know, they can contract and even like limit range of motion in certain areas. They can pull on facial features. It can be really Mm. severe depending. And so the best thing in a person who has this tendency is really to control whatever underlying skin condition is leading to them, whether it's acne or eczema, you just need that expert advice. I know that beauty companies you know, have a lot of work to do, as do we all in terms of reaching out specifically to the community and doing better research in these populations. But there are challenges with that. Like I alluded to earlier, it's, you can't just gather up a meaningful number of trans women with this type of acne and study them. It's, it's considered a marginalized and vulnerable population for research purposes. So it's very hard um, to do the study. But we do know how to treat hormonal acne and we do know what hormones do to the skin so i think here it's just getting expert advice i think that if you can make one appointment even a virtual appointment with a board certified dermatologist and they can help you control your acne control your eczema um, with topicals with an effective regimen those treatments are out there we are even going to have more exciting and better lasers coming soon in the next few years that will treat acne, but at Mm -hmm. present topicals and oral medications can be combined. Um, We have lights that can reduce inflammation. There are a lot of things we can do. um, And a lot of the skincare is actually already in the drugstore. It's just knowing what to use. And unless you're someone who can read the label and understand what fatty acid profile and a moisturizer is best for rosacea type Mm -hmm. skin, you know, you really need an expert to just tell you. And it's yeah. super, once they do, it's it's fairly simple. You know, we can play with two or three drugs for moisturizers and find the one that works. We can prescribe you a few topicals or oral medications. Um, that goes for any major skin condition, um, acne, eczema, psoriasis, you name it. We can treat it mm-hmm. but and control it, even if it's chronic. And that'll prevent the discoloration, the scarring. 
um, because once the scarring happens, it's it's much harder to get that under control. But I do have a lot of tools in my toolbox for that as well that, that can help, but it's a gradual process to reduce the scarring and control. Yeah, I feel like especially for keloid scarring. Mm-hmm. Do you use a laser for that? Combination. Uh, a combination of laser. Uh, keloids are tough because if you put them through too much trauma, again, you're like poking the bee's mm-hmm. nest. You're causing more trauma, you're going to get more keloid. So you have to do a really slow and controlled laser treatment to sort of open up the scar tissue. And then we use those little micro channels to deliver uh, topical and injectable medications that will shrink the scar tissue gradually over time and smooth it out. So it's kind of, you have to coax the keloid back to calm down Mm -hmm. and it is slow and gradual, which is frustrating. It's not something you can just erase or cut out because that's another fresh trauma and now you're going to get another keloid. Yeah. To prevent the regrowth of a new keloid. Oh my God. It sounds very frustrating. Yes. really really frustrating but you know so the best thing is to control the underlying skin condition or prevent the traumas i came across an online chat about question mark should i get my eyebrows microbladed if Mm -hmm. i'm from a keloid scar yeah no No, no. She's a microblading artist. She's a microblading artist. That I turn around Charge away and I'm like, stop! I like, stop trying to make me make you ugly. No, is the answer. You know the answer is no, lady. Why are you coming to me <laughs> and asking me to do this to you? <laughs> you have people on there trying to say, well, technically you need to get to the reticular dermis to. And I said, no one who's doing this is can tell you where it's going. Of course, it's going to the reticular dermis. Or the None key- of us or- went to medical That's school. Scary. If you're a microblading artist, you didn't go to medical school. <laughs> I think if you're not getting at least to the reticular dermis, it of course not. Totally. Any trauma- Acting like they went yeah. to medical school. Yeah, They're exactly. like, I got this. Yeah, no, no. They, no, no, no. I, okay, so I'm... I have another question just about keloid scarring. So this person who gets keloids... I guess they're just saying their skin is more prone to keloids and scarring. Can acne, like, let's say you, like, pick at a pimple. If you're someone who's prone to keloid scarring, can that cause a keloid? Yes, people prone to keloids can get keloids from acne that wasn't picked, acne that was picked spontaneously from mm-hmm. acne that wasn't even there. Uh, some people spontaneously and we don't know. It, it tends to happen more on the upper body and areas of tension. So, mm. you know, like the chest in women, just from the tension of having breasts or around the shoulders from just natural movement, even that can cause keloid scarring, even in the absence of a trauma or a micro trauma. Mm. Wow. Okay, that I didn't know. No, that sounds really, really frustrating, especially like if you, yeah, because it's, look how difficult it is to get rid of it. And you did, you know, one little thing and now it's here, right? I should clarify, some people think they have keloids, but they really have what's called a hypertrophic scar, which is just a thickened scar that does Mm. not need to grow and grow and grow and get nodular and contract. It's just a thickened scar at the site of trauma it doesn't grow beyond the site of trauma it doesn't occur when you do not have a trauma though that's just a hypertrophic scar it's much easier to treat and smooth mm-hmm. out um, make it better um, but that's different than a keloid mm-hmm. people call it a keloid but th- there is a technical difference in how they behave and mm-hmm. it's pretty important because the keloids are tough yeah yeah keloids sound like it's part of the sort of sensitive skin 
group of what you were saying when you were saying to stop the trauma. It's like when we were talking about eczema, psoriasis, and all those other sensitive skin conditions, stopping, what do they say? The waterfall of symptoms that create the snowball effect. And if you can stop one of them, then you've got a better chance of like stopping it from going full blown. It sounds similar and just as frustrating and annoying as keloids. But I think all the people who wrote in before they start in any kind of transition, I think if they can just making one appointment with a dermatologist to anticipate the changes and sort of have some ideas of how you're going to change your skincare or how you're going to deal with new issues and having a provider on your team because when these things come up, you need to be able to hook in very quickly and make little changes because in the first six months on a new hormonal regimen is when we're going to see the bulk of the issues. So I think having someone at the onset is really the best thing you can do because Mm -hmm. the sooner you treat this, um, the more likely that you're not going to have to deal with severe discoloration, pigmentation, scarring, Mm -hmm. whatever sequela developed from from that. Yeah, just knowing what to expect also, I'm sure. Just having somebody that can look at you and say, look, this is going to happen and I know your skin, so here's a treatment that if in case this happens, here's what we're going to do to combat it. Just somebody who doesn't know you and doesn't know your skin and could, you know, prescribe something that can make things worse, which happens all the time. So just, again, having somebody in your corner. Yeah, or just trying to wander the aisle at Sephora and read labels and, yeah. and out what these marketing terms on the labels really mean and what would be best for you. It's almost impossible. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're just picking a good skincare line and sort of following their recommendations, which you can do with certain skincare brands, but... It's, it's tough to know. And some people need prescriptions. So in that case, you're not going to have luck at, you know, at the drugstore or with any particular company. Mm-hmm. But that makes sense to me. If you are someone who is going to start hormone therapy because you want to transition, unless you've done like shit tons of research, and maybe if, even if you have, you may not know all the things you're supposed to do. Like, it would be great if people knew, like, yes, find a dermatologist like right off the bat so that you can... Have someone there. So Mm -hmm. as soon as things start changing and your skin, instead of like you wind up waiting and out of nowhere, you're like, what the fuck is going on with my skin? Well, just like little things that you can't even anticipate. Totally. That that even, you know, you every day you learn something new about your body. Right. And it's like this. Mm -hmm. This is the same body I've had my entire life. And I'm still learning something new about it. Imagine like you're, you know, going to this whole new world. Come up with skin conditions like, you know, someone may be wearing a wrap or binding their chest. They may have folliculitis. They may get eczema. They may get allergic to the wrap. Yeah. Dermatology issues come up and you just need someone, I think, an expert that that can help. Definitely an expert. The more things that we talk about, the more I realize. We need more of you, Oh, there's something else. Oh, right. That's something else that (laughs) I've never in my life thought once about, you know. Totally. Yeah. times a day I get people with a bag of skincare that they spent a fortune on that is all wrong or maybe there's one right product yeah but it's wrong for their skin type and they just didn't know maybe they have rosacea and eczema and they have dry skin and they bought products marketed to people with dry skin but the product was really meant for dry mature skin that Mm -hmm. doesn't have eczema and rosacea and not young dry skin with eczema and rosacea it's it's a completely different skin profile Mm -hmm. and so it led the person down the completely wrong path and in fact made it worse or is not really making it better for sure this is part of why we have this podcast like we've stressed on so many episodes 
what skin conditions mean, what they are, what they mean, and how important it is to pay attention to those when choosing skincare. But how a lot of the times, obviously, it's hard to do on your own. Mm -hmm. Young people now are really, I mean, this is the double-edged sword of, of social media and access to information like this, is that there's so much more quality information out there. If people go online, I mean, myself and a lot of my colleagues, you know, we put out information, you're putting out information. I mean, they can get the information, a right. lot of super helpful information. And I think that I'm seeing people just, they're just a lot more savvy than they yeah. used to. And they're really proactive, but you, you've got to go to a reputable source and, and sift totally. through it and listen to it and do the research. And some totally. people do. Yeah, totally. We have to keep doing it because there's people out there giving the wrong information. I know. This is interesting. This is from Shauna. Recently, I've been getting laser hair removal to combat my dysmorphia with my facial hair and the five o'clock shadow. I'm not currently on any hormones or testosterone blockers, so I have to get laser treatments. It does take a toll, but my skin bounces back within a couple of days. Aloe vera is a godsend. It purifies and soothes my skin. That was a comment, obviously not a question, but we're wondering if there's any other hair removal methods or treatments that you use for patients. Is electrolysis a thing still? It is. I don't do it. It, it involves just heating individual follicles. Okay. So I make a very specific heat into each individual follicles. It, it can be done. I have seen the complications of it. Just doing what I do in the city. I've seen complicated. I've seen pitted scarring. I've seen problems. Mm. You can definitely do hair removal, laser hair removal. Now it's so much more efficient. It's faster. It can be safe in all skin tones, although we still see injuries from people who are using the wrong device, the wrong wavelength on the wrong skin tones. Uh, but I, I, I think it's life-changing, you know, and, and it's something you can get started with right away. I, I will say to that comment that it's true that hormonal regimens will thin out the hair in trans women, but it will not often eliminate the hair so that even if the skin texture changes and the hair is thin out or are more sparse, I still see quite a lot of hair in, in trans women and in a lot of cis women, you know? Some mm -hmm. people just familial, it's hormonal, we just grow hair. Mm -hmm. So it can be treated, but it can be stubborn, especially when it's on the face, mm -hmm. and especially if it's hormonally driven. And oftentimes the hormones alone don't don't change the, the hair. So hair removal is really, it's huge. It's life-changing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it has to be huge, right? You're trying to present yourself as someone who... Does not have facial hair, even yes. though you've maybe had facial hair for most of your life at this point. And I mean, the first thing that everyone's seeing is your face, right? So, yes, maybe you've gotten surgeries on your body, but your face. It's, yeah. Shit. Also, I love that. I, I don't know anything about laser. People ask a lot of questions about lasers, and it's not anything that I specialize in whatsoever. But I love hearing that. I mean, technology is moving so fast these days. But especially as a woman of color, I was kind of just like, it's not for me. It's not for me. It's not for me. So I love to hear you say, it's for you, girl. You got to find the right person. It's for all of us, maybe. <laughs> It's definitely for you. You just have to be a lot more careful in going to a provider who has the proper device and is an expert in lasers. Totally. Love it. And oftentimes they can do a tiny test spot somewhere. Just make sure. I see people with burns all over their back or something and I'm thinking to myself, Jesus, gosh, couldn't you have just done like one small pulse and then see how it goes and come back? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if ever there's a question or a concern or if you have a skin type that's not as easy you know it's the fairest skin and the darkest hair is the easiest combination to treat but 
yeah, it always surprises me how people just jump right in. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh my God. Well, yeah, I guess it's also important, like, yes, you don't want to get burned, all these things, but also go to someone who maybe understands your skin tone, hair color combination so that the laser actually works. Yeah. Yeah, I see people getting treated who have blonde hair or gray hair and, you know, the lasers just don't work very well on that. Okay. At least you you know that and say that. I feel like I've had clients who are just like, I did 10 sessions of laser and I still have all this hair. I'm like, girl. Like, come on. I I know why it wouldn't have worked. They should have. But, you know. So I do have a question. So you specialize in gender presentation. What are some treatment options that are available to some of your patients that we lay people might not necessarily know that you love? Like, what's your people always say, like, what's your favorite number one thing that you're doing right now? Like, is there something that you know that is the shit but not everybody else necessarily knows or that you know really makes an impact on your patients in ways that aren't necessarily ones and you know like that we think of that we like think of exactly the hair removal or yeah exactly what have you like all patients or trans patients specifically all patients let's say i think the thing that really surprises people the most is the way things are used in combination now because mm. there's a lot of evidence that injectables can interact with devices in the skin and really cause so much more improvement. So I think a lot of people come in thinking, oh, I don't want filler because I don't want bigger lips or I don't want bigger cheekbones or, or whatever it is. But I think they're always very surprised to learn how these things can be used now, not just to plump a feature, but to you know, stimulate collagen and regenerate the skin and smooth skin quality and kind of shift volume around and lift things up. And, you know, you can't really take, you know, a 50 plus girl and make them look 20 with these things, but you really can make significant changes by, by combining treatments. So I think some of the collagen stimulators um, that we use really surprise people the way fillers now are hyper diluted and spread throughout tissue so that it improves skin quality and firming not just plumping mm-hmm. uh, people and then when when the product is in the skin and there are a couple different things that can be used for that when the product is in the skin and then you hit it with certain energy devices you get so much more improvement than if you just use the energy device alone so i have people come in saying oh i want skin tightening and if I had just done skin tightening, they would have walked away like, uh-uh, that didn't do anything, right? But if we combine these things a little bit, we can really coax the tissue into responding and changing skin quality. It's it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. So. And it sounds That's a lot awesome. more like, like skin health, like skill, like the oh, focusing yeah. a lot on like improving the skin overall and looking great, which I mean, of course, right. like, Skin health, of course, it looks great. It's probably has great things going on. But I think as lay people, it's just like, oh, well, you know, you can just get a boob job. You can just do this. You can just do that. And you're going to look great. But it'll look different. But great, mm, great is health is kind of what you're saying. And you really want to use products and these devices that are going to improve the health of your skin overall. Yeah, and restore what the person had or always Ooh, had. Restoration. There it is. Make look like they always looked, especially when they're noticing changes associated with acne, aging, transitioning, whatever it is that they that they want to address. Totally. Mm-hmm. I love it. You're making me want to do some stuff to my I face. I got to go play around with some... <laughs> People don't realize, I mean, some of the devices we use for scarring and skin quality don't require lasering the surface of the skin. 
we can use little needles and then deliver the heat from underneath the skin mm. and, and the heat kind of diffuses up and all around to the deeper layers. And that can actually, then we can use the channels to put growth factors and dilute fillers and other things through. So there are a lot of cool things we can do um, that can be done in the summer or in all skin tones. And there are a lot of options now. And that more things, so cool. really, really cool things coming in the next couple of years. I think we're going to see um, some big leaps in um, what we can treat. Wow. This is exciting. This is very exciting. That was really, really cool what you were just describing. And... I love it. I guess <laughs> this is more of a comment than anything, but like it really pisses me off when I see these shitty things like these infomercials on TV, you know, selling devices that purport to do whatever to give you salon quality or doctor quality. And me as an esthetician, it makes me so mad. You must get furious. You like I had a client like, ask if she should buy this at home laser hair removal no, thing. Oh and my I, God, dude. And I all I said to her was, I don't know much about laser, but I'm looking at this thing you sent me that's maybe like it's half like a foot long. The easy big like, oven of, you, of yeah, laser I'm like, hair. Do you know what a laser hair removal machine looks like? It's huge. How on earth could this possibly work as well as that and also this is not something you do at home no but also just the way listening to the way that you talk about these treatments and the way in which they work and the way in which you're using tools to deliver ingredients you can't get that from nothing from an infomercial it's just not it's it's just so (laughs) dope and so you've got so much passion for it obviously and it's just it's been a pleasure to like listen to you talk about these different treatment options it's super cool the last thing I'll say, too, and we talked about this, is one of the things I realized is that people assume certain things, like like you were saying, people assume that the patient wants me to remove their hair because they identify as a woman, or they assume they want to grow facial hair because they identify as a man. And what I'm learning, too, and that really surprises a lot of people and surprises me all the time is... If you don't have assumptions and you just like listen to what people are aiming for, a lot of times it doesn't fit like the mold that you thought it should fit. Uh, I've you know I've had a trans man that says they don't want a single hair to grow on their face from the testosterone they're on. They want to keep it all off and they want to do laser hair removal. And I was a little surprised by that, but okay, right? Mm. And sometimes what the person hopes for is surprising and. You know, women can hope for a stronger jawline or a flat eyebrow is kind of in right now. So it's it's whatever people want. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of assumptions that people get from media or marketing, but I think um, kind of just whatever the person's aiming for, we can do our best with all the things available. Well, that. just to say that's really huge because I think a lot of providers, whether it's a doctor or someone in like the beauty industry they like to do what they want to do mm-hmm. and oftentimes don't listen to their client or their mm-hmm. patient no and it's beautiful so, and also it's like you're you're offering individualism mm-hmm. you're offering originality uniqueness you're offering like you be you i want to help you be you i don't need to put you into this box and i love that so thank you for thank so much you. and thank you for the work well, thank that you're you. doing it's such a great resource for people so yeah I think totally really empowering people to get the information that they need hey guys oh hey hope you enjoyed that chat and i hope that you learned as much as we did two chats i think both chats (laughs) that would be fun if we could have all four of us together maybe we will one day it's a lot of voices yeah it's too much unless we're like in person maybe yes elizabeth and i were saying 
after both of these interviews, well, Elizabeth was saying how it's so important to have a doctor you really respect and who knows you well. And Dr. Ebersol was saying this too. Like, you have to respect them enough that if they had to, like, default to themselves to make a decision when you're on the table, you're asleep, that you would trust whatever decision they made because you're both on the same page, like, aesthetically and otherwise. Mm-hmm. That's fucking scary. Yeah. That's why you need to know who you're going to. Like, holy shit. Yeah. And also listening For to... For any doctor. Any yes. doctor doing anything. Yeah. Listening to Dr. McGregor speak about, you know, her friends within the trans community and her patients within the trans community and how difficult of a time they had just finding a doctor who spoke to them where they felt respected and seen. Like, the amount of times... Like, my millennial ass has gone so many years without insurance that I've just learned, like, girl... Look, if you're not losing blood, you'll be all right. (laughs) Take a glass of water and lay down. You'll figure it out. But there's so many of us that don't have that luxury. They can't just take a glass of water and lay down. There's things that they need from medical professionals. And the amount of times that a trans person has to go to a medical professional just to get to a place where they're comfortable looking in the mirror, in their own skin, being themselves. And the fact that so, like what Dr. McGregor was saying And that one of her clients, they said that was the first time that they felt seen and comfortable. The hundreds of times that they've had to go into doctor's offices before seeing her and feeling uncomfortable, that was just so shocking. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure like even if the doctor they were going to didn't intend to make them feel that way, clearly they're doing something wrong because they haven't figured out themselves how to be an ally to that community. And, you know, then you... Maybe you shouldn't accept patients who are transgender then because you that's so fucked up. Imagine or just do the like work. to go to just a regular ass doctor appointment even. Maybe you're just going yes. because you need your annual checkup. Totally. Or when we were traveling and I saw, you know, the amount of times you have to show your ID just mm-hmm. to get on a plane. Mm-hmm. If your ID doesn't match your appearance, like how difficult is that? Just so many hoops yeah. to go through everyday life that I never, it never crossed my mind because I've never had to have these problems. Right. Or wanting to change your name. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. It's just so much. And so we say all of this because, you know, if you want to be an ally, if you want to be an empathetic human, which is what Alex and I for sure want to be, which is what we think that you guys want to be also, it's just always learning, always growing, making mistakes. But like, I think also just extending a hand and just saying like, we want to learn more about this community. We want to bring information to this community that we really don't know about. How can we help? And then just maybe listening a little bit. Just a little. Just a little bit. But I think that if any of you were kind of curious about, I don't know, I think that there are a lot of people out there who do want to be allies, but maybe it's hard to know where to start. Where to start, or maybe things do still make you a little uncomfortable. Maybe listening to something like this could make you understand a little more mm-hmm. what's going on. Totally. Maybe. I hope so. That, I mean, I hope that's so the goal too. of the pod. It's just to share different stories, to share different life experiences and different human connections, different ways that we can all connect to the human, the greater human experience mm. through beauty. I like that. Yeah. That's what we're all here for, guys. Whether you like it or not, welcome. Surprise. That's what we've been... Surprise, surprise, That's bitches. what we've been giving <laughs> So we didn't say it at the top of the show, but let's say it right now. Next week, we're on vacation. Yeah, we're on vacay. We're going to be skipping a week, but then we'll be back the following week um, with some... I don't know. We're going to have some stuff for you guys. It's a surprise. <laughs> so you got to tune back in to find out. But we are going to be continuing with the Body Care Chronicles for the rest of the year. So... Maybe take a guess what's next. Maybe don't it just Maybe show you'll up. Maybe you'll win a prize. Maybe you'll win a prize. I'm just kidding. 
But um, in the meantime, what could they do? They could do some stuff for us. We did all of this for you. What could you do for us? You could follow us. That's free. Mm-hmm. You could follow us on the Instagram at True Beauty Brooklyn Podcast. You can email us. Yep, you could do that too. Uh, That's on the email, on the sh- Gmail. <laughs> True Beauty Brooklyn Podcast at gmail.com. You can send us your questions, your comments, your. I love getting, okay, we've been getting a lot of letters from people just saying, you, you know, recommended this and it changed so much, or you made me feel better about having this condition. Thank you so much. And it's really so lovely to hear because it's, you know, we're doing the most right now. It's not always easy, but hearing the reason, like, that's the reason we do this. That's the reason that we work so hard to bring you guys this information and why we're, you know, doing this fucking podcast for you. So I love, we love hearing from you guys. So send us those letters. You can also just say, hey, bitch, what's up? You want to just do that too. That's fine. Sup. Sup. <laughs> and we got some personal Instagram. Should we tell them that or keep that to ourselves? Like our personal Instagram? That's my own personal business, actually. Never mind. Oh my God, it's funny. Um, I guess we talked about our personal Instagrams on the last episode and I've got like four new followers. I know, me too. Only four. But only four. Yeah, The rest of you either don't listen to the end. They don't give a shit. Or you're just like, she said it's boring. So why the fuck am I going to follow her? Or she looked at, they looked at my page and were like, yep, boring. Yep, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Same Z's. They're like, so there's five pictures. One is of a can. All right, girl. I have like a lot of photos, but most of them are from like 10 years ago. All right. So if you keep following us, we will add some pictures. That is, that is, I'm the Brown Elizabeth Taylor. That's a great handle. It is great. Thanks. Mine is Alex Lindley. It's my first and my middle name. How do you spell Lindley? L-Y-N-L-E-Y. And you spell Alex with an I. A-L-I-X. Yes. It's a fancy name. It's It's what some would call a stripper name. My friend Alex has an X in her name, and I have a Z in my name, and that's what makes us fancy. (laughs) And strippers. (laughs) And strippers. Anyway, that's it from us, guys. We love you. We'll see you in two weeks. Stay cool out there. This summer has been a fucking hot... Just hot. It's hot, hot as shit. Cool down. See you in the fall. Bye. Bye. This has been a COC BK production. Produced by us, Elizabeth Taylor and Alex Shapiro. Our engineer is Bart Tripoli. Our theme music composer is Zebra Sonic. Our artwork is by Garrett Ross. Our photos, hair, and makeup are by Sabrina and Joe Holdsworth. If you're an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com slash ads. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.